1 Corinthians 13. You there? You there? All right, here we go. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Somebody say whole. W-H-O-L-E, not H-O-L-E, but the whole chapter. This is what it says in verse 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of tongues of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could even remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, see, that's extreme, but have not love, I give my body to be burned. There's good reason in this passage, but for us, like, what does that even mean? Why is this guy talking about giving my body to be burned? But have not love, it profits me nothing. Say nothing. Come on, say nothing. Come on, we didn't come to church tonight to sit back and put our feet up and just listen. We came to interact and be a part of what's happening. So say nothing. Come on, say nothing. With some attitude, say nothing. He said it like this. He said, but if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Hear what he said? He said, I don't care how extreme you go. If you don't have love, it means nothing. Say nothing. So in other words, love is pretty dang important, isn't it? And he goes on. He says, love suffers long. This is Paul's best way by the Holy Spirit. God is teaching us, defining for us, if you will, what love is. You ready? This is what he says. He said, love suffers long. That's a good word to start out love. And is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast or parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's like, mmm. Mmm. It doesn't behave rudely. Say it rudely. Say it doesn't. Good. So don't do that to your parents. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Woo. Man, all these are getting me. It doesn't think evil. It doesn't rejoice in sin but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures through all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. And whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there are knowledge, or whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part And we prophesy in part. He goes on and on. He says this in verse 13. He says, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Say love. Say it with with like a romantic way. Love. Come on, let me hear what you got. Say love. Not a Justin Bieber love, but a Jesus love. You there? Where? Acts 17. Real quick. I'm going to read one verse, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray and get started. Come on. You there? Acts 17, verse 16. Acts 17, verse 16. I'm going to read it. It says, now. Say now. 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 While Paul waited for them in Athens. Now, Paul, you've got to hear the story now. Paul is traveling from, from city to city. He's preaching the gospel about Jesus. And as he's preaching, people are trying to kill him, so he's escaping from one place to the next. And Paul now is waiting in Athens for for Timothy and Silas, his buddies who are coming to support him and be with him and pray for him and encourage him and serve him and just be alongside of Paul as he was ministering. So the Bible says that Paul now, he just left another city, and now he's in Athens. The Bible almost insinuates that he's by himself. The Bible says he's waiting in Athens for Silas and Timothy. And as he's waiting in Athens, it says his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. 
Let's bow our heads and ask God to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to know his love. Father, tonight we thank you so much, God, that you're a fun, exciting, full of life and love. God, you are the most amazing person. God, you are the ultimate, ultimate being. God, we are all that we need. God, we are all, you are all that we've ever longed for. And God, tonight we ask that you'd make yourself known. God, tonight we ask that you'd open up our eyes. God, you'd open up our ears to hear what you're saying and our eyes to see what you're doing. God, we want to know who you are. So God, show us what it looks like to live a life of love. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a girl. Say, oh. There was a girl. I wish my wife was here, but she's working right now in camp stuff. There was this girl. I was, I think I was like, that doesn't matter how old I was. I was younger. You with me? And I wasn't dating anybody. Say hallelujah. Say amen. Say good brother. I wasn't in a relationship per se. My parents really wanted me to be in a relationship with somebody. I'd already become a believer. I was saved at this time. I think I was about 17 or 18. I don't remember. Probably 18. And uh, my parents tried setting me up. And uh, ask questions after, after the service. Matt will answer your questions after the service. All of them, right? Matt's got all your questions after the service. So my parents tried to set me up with a girl. And they've been telling me about her for like weeks. And apparently she already knew who I was and she already knew my last name, my first name, my middle name. She knew my birthday. I'm not kidding. Facebook wasn't out yet, but I'm sure if it was, she would have known my Facebook address and how to get on a Facebook. But even worse, she knew my number. My parents gave her my number. So I'm down the Russian River. Anybody know what the Russian River is? Fishing for reds. My phone starts ringing. Some number, I didn't know who it was. Some girl's calling up. Because I answered the phone. I'm like, hello? She's like, hello? You know. And I'm like, hey, and I, got, I literally got a fishing pole in one arm. And usually don't have service down there. And this girl's like, hey, you know, my name's so-and-so. I'm not going to tell your name. And uh, my parents, my, your parents told me about you. And I'm like, and literally, not, no joke, I'm fishing. My dad's like right there. <laughs> and so I'm on the phone. I'm like, really? He told me, told you about me. And she's like, Yeah. Uh, Gabriel, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, why did they tell you about me? Well, who are you, and how did you get my number? And and progressively, we were talking on the phone and carried on a conversation, and she wanted to meet me. Say, so, uh-oh. <laughs> Devil's a liar. And so I'm just, you know, trying to live life. And uh, I walk into my parents' office one day. My dad's a doctor here in town. I walk in, and the girl who, she'd seen my pictures on the wall because my parents had pictures on the wall. She knew who I was, but I didn't know who she was. And so she walked up to me and started talking to me like, like I knew who she was. I had no idea, Maya, who she was. But she acted as if I knew her and I knew her voice, but I didn't know who she was. And she acted like we were dating, like that. Like, so when are you coming over? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> this, is before, <laughs> this is before we even shook hands and said, oh, my name, you know. Say weird. She kind of left. And uh, walked out the door of my parents' office, went to my mom. I said, Mom, what, what's the story about you giving this girl my information? And Well, you know, I just feel bad for you. You know, you just look lonely. And, you know, she's a nice girl. We've known her family her whole life. I'm like, 
You should go out with her. And uh, at this point in my life, I liked another girl. I didn't like this girl. I liked my wife, Ashley Millar at the time. Say, come on now. And we were at a time where we weren't together. We were friends, but we weren't. We were taking a break from any type of relationship because we wanted to pursue the Lord and protect our relationship, which is good. Say amen. And as we were in that time, the devil was trying to set me up with somebody else. My mom and dad are the devil, but the devil's the devil. And he definitely influences people. And so in this time, <laughs> I'm going, my parents really want me to spend time with this girl and go out with her and take her out and smile at her and give her my number, and, even though she already has it, but just because it's a cool thing to do. Take her on a date, buy her ice cream, make her pay for dinner, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but the problem was there was nothing happening on the inside for this girl. You know what I'm saying? The problem was, the girl goes, uh-huh. Yeah. The problem was, inside my heart, there was nothing for this girl. And I realized something that I realized even when I was younger, that you can't just make up feelings. You can't just make up affection. You can't just make up passion for somebody. You can't just create and manufacture love. For somebody. I realized in that moment, it didn't matter how bad my mom or my dad wanted me to go play college basketball, or how bad my parents wanted me to be a doctor, or how bad my parents or my brother or my friends wanted me to like somebody. If it didn't happen inside my heart, if I didn't have an internal motivation and inspiration, I wasn't going to like that somebody. Does that make sense? You cannot manufacture love. You know, a lot of times we come to church because we want to know what to do and what our life should look like. We want the pastor or the mentor to tell us all the things that we need to do. Read your Bible, pray. Oh, make sure you get on your knees too. So that's kind of like two and a half, three, whatever. So like three and a half. Uh, worship. Go to church. Uh, make your bed. Be nice to people. And as... The list just builds. And we could probably see here and think of all the things that Christians should do, right? All the good things that we should do. And we start doing them. You know, we start going to church. Start going to our youth group. Start reading our Bible. You know, we just came down from a real spiritual high. and Either camp was great or... One day I just pull up my bootstraps. Lord, I'm going to work real hard. I'm really going to love you. Pastor told us what we should do. Our friends told us how we should live and the, the things that we should do. And it doesn't work if you don't have that love in your heart. Eventually, I'm going to get tired. Eventually, I'm going to run out of steam. I'm going to run out of motivation. Eventually, me just pulling up my bootstraps, putting on my hard-working gear, my running tennis shoes, spiritually, and working really, really hard, Eventually, I'm going to get tired. Because you can't teach somebody how to love Jesus. You can't, you can't really define 
what love looks like. Well, yeah, sure, Gabriel, you know, love looks like taking somebody out to lunch. Not necessarily. Because there's lots of people taking people out to lunch, but they don't have love. Well, Gabriel, you know, love looks like, you know, being a part of a, of a ministry and being a part of your youth group. Not necessarily. Because there's lots of people part of a church or part of a ministry, but they don't have love. You cannot define love necessarily by an action. Because as we just read in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, I don't care if you go as extreme of giving up your body to be burnt. Because in those times, specifically in the first century, Christians were giving themselves to be burnt for Jesus because they said, choose Jesus or die. We'll burn you. And Paul was making an extreme statement here to the church that was in Corinth who faced a measure of persecution. And what he was saying was this. I don't care how extreme you're trying to live your life if you don't have love. It doesn't matter. It's meaningless. What I'm trying to say is what I'm asking of you and what God is asking of you When he asks for your life, and when he asks for you to lay down your life and to trade your life for people, God is not necessarily saying, take people out to coffee. God is not necessarily saying, take somebody to lunch. God is not necessarily saying, spend time with somebody. God is not necessarily saying, hang out with somebody and have a sleepover. God is not even necessarily saying, pray for somebody. When God asks for your life, What he wants more than for you to do some things, what God really wants is for you to carry his love. The Bible calls it, in Koine Greek, what Jesus used when he described love, what Paul used when he described love was the word agape. The word agape is a word that describes God. In 1 John 4, the Bible says that God is agape. God is love. It's unconditional. Man does not, natu- does not naturally possess love. And so what Jesus really wants for you is not necessarily to do a bunch of things for him. What Jesus wants of you is to possess his love. And if you possess his love, you want to do those things. You know, when you read this story in Acts 17, something, something strikes me. And I shared this last Friday night at our encounter night. Because I don't know about you, but when I consider what the Bible tells us to do, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus, the man who you cannot see, when I consider that the Bible tells us to trade our life and to carry our cross and to deny ourselves and to live a life wholeheartedly for him, when I consider that, if I don't have motivation, I'm not going to last very long. If I don't have a motivation that is outside of myself, if I don't have a reason that is beyond me, if I don't have some measure of inspiration that is beyond what I can conjure up within me, I guarantee I'm going to get tired. You know, you go to church for so long. You get on a worship team. You get on a leadership team. You get on a sound team or a lighting team. Or you're just helping out. They call you a leader or they're going to call you a leader. And you start doing things, you know. You wake up in the morning, you think, man, I got I to gotta pray real hard tonight because, you know, tonight's GM. And I got to be there and I got I to gotta make sure I'm ready. And I, I got to make sure I'm full. And gosh, I got to help, you know, put things away. And I got to help run the games. And So I need to spend some extra time with the Lord today. And your day goes on, the whole time you're thinking about all the things you got to do, and you show up at your church or your youth group or you come here. And you think about 
how you need to sing or how you need to worship or how you shouldn't worship because that person's here. And if that person's here, then, man, I don't know if I should even go to the front because maybe they'll think I'm weird. And the night progresses and you think of all the things you can do and you do it week after week after week. And then the pastor tells you, you spend time with people and love people. You're like, oh, man, gosh, i got to add that to my list. Okay, okay, I need to spend time with people and i got all these things i got to do. And, man, but I really, really want to just go do this. And he's asking me to do this, but I don't really know if I can do that. And I, mean, I understand what he's asking of me, but, but okay, you know, I'll, 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 let's try to, try to fit people in my calendar. I'll try to fit people in my schedule. I'll try to make it work. I can do that. I, I know I can make it work. I can, I can push through. And so you do that for some weeks, and and then and then and then the pastor says, "Hey, you need to come to this event. You know, we're having a prayer night. We'd like you to be there. You don't have to, but we'd like you to be there." Oh, okay, gosh. All right. Well, if I, if I don't go, he might think that I'm not a good guy. He might think that I'm I'm just a lazy girl. I, maybe I mean I really probably should be there. Okay, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna cancel all my plans. Months progress. Year turns into two years, two to three, and then you're just doing things. And eventually you just, I ain't doing this anymore. This church, there's a big organization. They just want my money. Pastor, he just cares about what he cares about. He just wants his vision to be fulfilled. Nobody's asked me how I'm doing or where I'm at. I've been doing this for three years and I haven't gotten a raise. A promotion. I'm still in the booth. Using, these are all metaphors. I'm not saying particularly talking to anybody in, in particularly. Still in the same place. I spend time with so many people. Nobody even tells me I'm doing a good job. You just go, I'm done with this. Hey, you know, thanks for, for all you've done, pastor, friend. But, you know, I, I'm going to move on and I'm going to go somewhere else. And pff, you're gone. And there you were, more like a firecracker than a bonfire. You did some cool things. nothing really happened and you didn't last and you just went and lived the life that you really wanted to live you just did all those things because you felt like you had to when I got back with my girlfriend my wife now you didn't have to tell me hey Gabriel you need to call her more often you didn't have to tell me, hey, you should hold on to this one. She's a keeper. You didn't have to tell me, hey, you should get close to their family. It's really important that, you know, the dad knows you and their mom knows you and that they like you. That's a good deal. You didn't have to tell me to make sure that I was nice to her, that I was considerate and kind and paid for her dinner. I'm using a human-to-human -human relationship as a metaphor to help us understand that when you have love in your heart, that unconditional, aggressive, relentless desire for Jesus, you don't have to remind somebody to pray. You don't have to conjure up a desire to read your Bible. 
you won't feel obligated to, to please somebody else to go to your youth group. You won't feel obligated because if you don't do it, people think less of you. You won't feel obligated to go spend time with people and love people. If you have what Paul and Jesus call agape, love. See, when you have love, when you possess love, you make excuses to get away to be with Jesus. When you possess love and motivation and inspiration and desire, you make excuses to spend time with people because you so badly want them to know Jesus. When you possess love, you don't have to remind yourself to encourage somebody. You encourage somebody because you can't help but encourage somebody because love is overwhelming out of your heart and therefore out of your mouth. When you possess love, you will give up your life even to the point of death. If you possess love, you'll want to love Jesus and love people. What I'm saying to you tonight is this. If you lack motivation to read your Bible or to spend time with Jesus, it's not necessarily because you're a bad person. It's because you're a person and you don't have love and you need love. What I'm saying is this. If you don't want to trade your life to even lay down your life for Jesus, what I'm telling you is not necessarily that you're a bad person, but simply that you just don't possess love. What I'm telling you is that if if you don't want to give every waking moment of your day to love people and to build his church and to spend time with Jesus, you're not necessarily a bad person. You just don't possess love because when you possess love, you cannot help but to love people and to love Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Corinthian, to, to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One of my favorite verses. The long story, it's actually the same place that he went in Athens. Athens was right next to Corinth. Church of Corinthians, right? And right next to the church of Corinth, in the same area, was a city, was an area called Athens. And so Paul, when he preached the gospel, their people got saved there, and eventually churches were built. And churches were built in Corinth. And so Paul wrote letters to the church in Corinth, and they wrote him back, and they had this conversation. And we got two letters that Paul wrote from the church in Corinth today, 2,000 years later in our Bibles, of what Paul wrote. And some of it we're able to pick up on what Paul, or what they were saying to Paul, just through reading it. And Paul writes 2 Corinthians, which is the next book, the next chapter after 1 Corinthians. Paul writes 2 Corinthians because right after he wrote 1 Corinthians, we get this idea that the church at Corinth, stay with me now, this is important. The church at Corinth got pretty upset at Paul and said, Paul, you're telling us to do all these things. And Paul, I feel like you're controlling us. I don't know if I can love people, Paul. I don't know if I can stop sexual immorality, Paul. I don't know if I, can, if I can really deal with my brother one to another and not take him to court. It's a lot easier to go to court, Paul. I don't know about this. It sounds like you're controlling me, Paul. You're telling me i got to be here. You're telling me i got to do this. You're telling me my services got to be orderly and the people need to stop yelling and screaming and being out of order in some services. Paul, you're, you're laying down some pretty strong boundaries, and to me it sounds like you're controlling me, Paul, and I don't know if I can do this. You're manipulative, Paul. History shows us the church at Corinth wasn't very happy. And that's why we get 2 Corinthians. The whole book is dedicated to the church at Corinth from Paul's heart saying, Hey, I'm doing all of this because I love you. He, he kind of climaxes it right in the middle in chapter 5, verse 14. He says, if I do anything crazy, it's for God. 
If I do anything just ordinary and normal and relevant to you, it's for you. He said, I, because I realized something. He says, I am compelled. I am constrained. I am motivated. And I am inspired by love. That's why I'm writing you, church. That's why I'm telling you to do these things. And actually, that's why he writes in 1 Corinthians 13 what love is. And that's why he tells them at the end of that chapter, at the end of that book, why it's so important to have love. I guess my question for you tonight is, do you possess love? Maybe you can say, Gabriel, I have, and there's been a time where I've been motivated and inspired. But see, I could sit down with you at coffee, or sit down with you at lunch, or have you over to my house and talk to you for an hour, two hours, and three hours, and encourage you to trade your life for Jesus and for this city. But if you don't have love, you're wasting your time, and so am I. Because what I'm asking and what God requires of us for this city, you listening to me? Because what I'm saying is very important and it's urgent. Because if there's anything that the church is feeling right now from God, it's a sense of urgency. God urgently is awakening us to say, hey church, trade your life for me. Because I'm about to do something in Anchorage, Alaska that the history will record for eternity. And every place in this world will hear about. It will echo across this universe. God desires to do something so unique, but he will not do it apart from man. He will do it in and through man. And for those things that happen regarding and, and relating to people, because God doesn't do things outside of people. If he does something on earth, it's for the cause of people. And God's going to do something very unique that he's never done before in Anchorage and in Alaska. Yeah. Through us and through this church and through the church of Anchorage. And if we don't lay down our life, even to the point of burning ourselves for Jesus, then we're not going to be a part of it. Let me say it this way. It's going to happen. He's just waiting for the people to say, God, I'm willing. Here I am. Send me. Not just say it, but actually possess love to do it. People, you're alive for such a very short time as this, right now. And what I'm asking, don't give up your life for Gabriel. Don't give up your life for GM. Don't give up your life for Absolute Community Church. Don't even necessarily give up your life for Anchorage. Because you know what? Eventually you'll just go, man, I can't do this anymore. So I'll tell you what, I'm not that good of a person to give up my life or your life for. But Jesus is more than enough for us to give up our life for. And if Jesus is your reason, if Jesus is your motivation, if Jesus is the one who inspires you, if you possess his love, I don't have to define to you how you should live your life. Does that make sense? I don't want to have to define to you what loving people looks like. Because you can't define love. But when you possess love, it motivates you to do what is inexpressible, to do what is immeasurable. You can't measure that love. So what I'm saying is we need love. You need love. I need love. We need God on a daily basis to give us his love. Because if we have not love, we're wasting our time. When I read that passage, 
in Acts 17. The Bible says that Paul was waiting in Athens. It says that he saw that they were worshiping other idols. And it says that he was provoked in his spirit. And if you read the rest of the story, long story short, Paul led people to Jesus because he sat and reasoned with them day after day after day in the city. Listen to me. What I am not saying is to go into the city and reason with people about Jesus. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you need to have something happen inside of you that makes you want to go reason with people in the city. What I'm not saying, go spend time with somebody sitting next to you because you'll waste your time. I'm not saying go love somebody in this church or somebody who's not saved. What I'm saying is that if you possess love, you'll want to do those things. And we should spend more of our time sitting at the feet of Jesus receiving love as Christians than trying to tell people how to live the Christian life. Because if we receive the love of God that is not describable and you cannot put definition to it, if we have that love, it's inexpressible. Would you stand with me? You can't manufacture love. It doesn't work. I've tried. Gabriel, I feel like that, you know? I feel like I don't really want to pray every morning. I feel like I don't really want to read my Bible. I feel like I don't really want to love my parents and forgive that person who sins against, sinned against me. I, you know, I don't, honestly, I don't really want to go to camp and work this whole time on a work staff. I don't really want to do that. That just tells me you're a human being and you lack love. And every single one of us born into this earth, if there's anything we lack naturally, it's love. And if there's anything that God wants to give us, It's love. What God requires of us, young people, is to spend time with him because we're so desperate for his love. But Gabriel, I don't even have the desire to spend time with him. What do I do? Consider what he did for you on the cross and how he purchased your soul and wrote your name in heaven and seated you in heaven, and will never leave you, and will never forsake you. And as you begin to consider, and think about, and ponder who God is, and what he did for you, you'll want to spend time with Jesus. You know, the truth is, I could talk about so many things in this youth ministry. You know, I got a, I got a, I got pretty big vision, talking about thousands of people getting saved. I'm saying this is what some of you think, you know. God's got vision for every person on this earth to get saved. I just got a little bit for this city right now, and that's what he's given me. But I do. I do got some vision for this city. I want to see God move and express himself in a way that he's never done before. I really do. Man,
I could sit down, make a list of all the things we should do really hard. Hey, you know what? I want this person, this person, this person to do these things right here. Can you guys do these things? If you guys do these things, the city will get saved. Hey, and I want this group of people over here. You guys do all these things. If you guys do these things, our city will, you know, our city will change. And you know what? We could sit down. We can make a whole list of all the things we could do and work on. But what I'm trying to encourage us tonight is that if we do not possess the love of God to give us motivation and to give us inspiration to do what we would not naturally or normally think of doing, which is trading and laying our life down for another person, whatever that looks like and whatever that means, if I do not possess love, nothing else matters. All is vain and all is vanity and all is selfish and self-worth. It only edifies you. It's only worthy of you. But when you possess love, the love of God, you don't need anybody to motivate you. You don't need anybody to inspire you. You don't need anybody to sit down with you and tell you how you should live your life. You don't need that. Why? Because you have the unconditional, unfathomable, inexpressible, immeasurable love of God inside of your being. I don't need nobody to tell me how to live my life. I got love. I'm not saying you get prideful and arrogant. That's the opposite. What I'm saying is that you don't need somebody to define to you how you should live your life. What I'm saying is that when you possess love, you will give of yourself to every person you come in contact with regarding, disregarding their race or their age or their gender or what they look like, what they don't look like. What I'm saying is, people, we need God's love. What I'm saying is that we if we want to do this thing called changing the world, which I want to do, and I think we're doing it, praise God, by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, one person at a time. But if each one of us do not possess the love of God, we are wasting our time. This is a cool thing. You know, good news. Good news to all this. Because Gabriel, it sounds like you're just saying I'm a bad person. True, kind of. None of us are really good people. God doesn't really care about your abilities. God cares about your availability. Let me say that one more time. Don't present your abilities to God and say, God, this is what I can do for you. Just be available to God because he doesn't really care about your abilities. He just cares about your availability. The Bible says, the Bible tells us that God used a donkey to speak to somebody. I'm sure he can use one of you. So God is more concerned with you just being available. And if you're available... He will not only give you desire, but he will give you ability to do what is beyond you. What I'm telling you, we need Jesus. And we need him really, 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 really bad. And if you lack motivation to even go to Jesus, then consider Jesus and what he did and who he is. And you'll get motivation. Let me read something. Jesus is praying. This is John chapter 17. Worship team, whenever you're ready, you guys can come up. This is John 17. Let me me read this real quick. I read this. I read it before, but when I read it, something clicked in me this last week. John 17 is, it's about four chapters. We get John 13 to John 17. A lot of red letters. In other words, Jesus is talking a lot. Real good when Jesus is talking a lot. And John 17 is, is the end of Jesus praying. Jesus is praying in John 17 to the Father. Isn't it cool that we get to see how Jesus talks to his Father? We get a glimpse of how Jesus communicated, and this is right before he gets taken away to be crucified. Listen to me now. Listen to me, because this is, this, is this is the climax of my message. So if you missed this, I'd be sad. He prays a lot of amazing things. The whole chapter is really amazing. But to hear what Jesus wanted, to hear what Jesus desired, who defined love in a person, Jesus, And to hear what love desired, to hear what Jesus desired for you and for me. Do you know that in this chapter Jesus prayed for you? He says, I pray for all those who will believe on me because of their word. And as he's praying for you, this is what he prays. And I'm not making this up. 
He says, I did not pray for these alone. He just got done praying for his disciples. But I also pray for all those, say me. Come on, say me. Come on, this is the glimpse of Jesus praying for you and for me. He says, I pray for all those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. What he's saying there is that you're seating just as high as Jesus in heaven. You're sitting next to him. The glory that Jesus has is the glory that you have. In other words, this is crazy to think. Some of you might think I'm blaspheming. But in God's eyes, you're just as righteous as Jesus. The same glory that you gave me, Lord, I give to them. They're equal, Lord. If we're going to be one, we have to be equal, right? You can't have unequals in a one unified environment. There has to be equal. God says you're equal to Jesus. Remember, though, it's not because of what you do. It's because of what he did. He says, I in them and you in me, Lord, that they may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them. Listen to this. That the world may know that you have loved them as much as you love me. This is Jesus praying. He says, Lord, I pray that the world would know that you love this church. That you love Generation Ministries and every individual there. You love them just as much as you love your own son. If there's anything extreme, that's extreme. If there's anything radical, that is radical. You know, I don't understand this talk about living a radical life. You can't live a radical life for Jesus. That doesn't make sense. Why? Because the only one radical in this equation is God. Your life living fully for Him is not radical, and that's not being on fire, and that's not living an extreme life. That's living a reasonable, logical life for Jesus. Because when you consider that God, regardless, disregarding your sin, loves you as much as He loves your own Son, give your life for Him is the only rational thing to do. It's not crazy. It's logical. He goes, Father, I desire, this is what I want, Lord, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. They may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. These have known you. Knowing that you sent me. Key verse tonight. Here it is. You with me? He says, I have expressed to them your name, and I will continue to express it so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you hear what he just said? Here he just prayed. He prayed about what we've been talking about. He just prayed. That's the end. And then it says, then Jesus stopped speaking and they took him away to be crucified. Last thing he prays that we get a picture of is Jesus is praying that you would have love inside of you. He says, Lord, really, Lord, what I really want, I just want them to have your love. I want them to have our love. Because if they have it inside of them, pff, we're good. But you know how he says that it would come? It would come if you know what he looks like. It'll come if you see who he is. It will come the more you know him. Love comes from heaven, drops into man, just simply as he considers how amazing God is. As he sits there, as God makes himself known to us, the 
can't describe to you why I love my wife. I just know that every time I see her, I love her like crazy. I can't, I can't define why. I just do. But that's just a mere shadow of our relationship with God. When we consider how amazing He is, I want to die for Him. When I consider how amazing He is, I want to go spend time with people. I really, really do. Because I want them to see as well. When I consider how amazing He is, I want to get up in the morning and spend time with Him. Read my Bible and pray. Why? Well, when you see him, you'll, you'll think the same thing. I can't really describe it to you. You've got to see him for yourself. I, I can't really define it for you. I don't know. you just got to see him. I, I, I can't really put it to words. I can't really draw a picture of it. I don't know. You just got to encounter him. Because once you encounter him, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what message you hear. It doesn't matter what scripture you read. It doesn't matter what song you sing if you encounter Jesus. It takes care of itself, you know. God wants us to want his love. Let's do this. Right now, let's be bold. Say, Gabriel... I want that. That's you come to the front. Come to the front. Get on your knees. Not for Gabriel. Not for the worship team. Not for Abbot Luke. Not for GM. But for Jesus. Get on your knees. And say, Lord, here I am. And I want to know you. And I want to see your face. And I want to know your heart. I want to know how much you love me. I want to know what you feel about me. I want to know how you think about me. I want to see your face smiling at me. God, I want to encounter you. God, I want to see you.